So we're, we don't want to just hear from the same exact voices about race, right? Like if, if you know, for instance, people will tell you, you know, we're talking about race, they want you to just preach the gospel and you ask them who best defines the gospel and they're going to give you a bunch of people who own slaves, right? And like, I, I don't, the, you know, the, if, if the gospel didn't stop Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield from doing the things that they did, then I, that's, that's not, there's something enormous missing there, right? And, and also, if you actually want to engage with the entire church and genuinely be in communion with brothers and sisters of, of all different backgrounds, like I'm not going to sit down with Jonathan and be like, Jonathan, let's learn about the gospel from somebody who would have been genuinely okay with me owning you as property. Like that's absurd. We're not doing that. Right. So we're starting from the perspective of not what is the norm. Oftentimes in America, we're going to take more seriously than anything else. Um, the people who are most affected by the problems that we've created because they're going to best understand those problems. And they're going to be the ones who are, who are best going to help you move away from them. From the slave quarters of Monticello Or on the caged border, look what we fell for With the Congolese children in the Belgian colonies Or the Hebrew slaves under the scepter of Ramses Belshazzar like Coney like This is the first week that is back-to-back new episodes since the summer kind of hiatus happened And I'm slightly nervous that I'm out of a rhythm But I'm also excited to do new content as we, you know, close out and begin the autumn and fall or summer. I don't actually know what time of the year it is. So yeah, I'm not going to do the normal huge long intro because I just really am excited for this conversation to happen. So I had Cy, Jonathan, and Susie who were on the show, gosh, right before the election happened. It's like October maybe of 2020. And it was a good conversation. And I have stayed in contact with them followed their work and they're doing some big things. And so brought them back on. We have a much deeper conversation, laugh a whole lot, poke a little bit of fun at some people, mostly me. But yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this. Here we go. Let's roll the tape. separately or zoom is all right do you want to record separately no i just i just knew i went away and i didn't know if y'all had like decided something but I'm we also decided that you were editing jonathan you gotta do what you gotta do it's gonna go up just like this <laughs> <laughs> i edited the text to post it <laughs> oh <laughs> goodness goodness no I'll, I'll edit it why not appreciate it <laughs> all right here we go Sai, Susie. Jonathan, I'm not going to do last names because you're returning people, returning humans. So welcome back to the show. How are the three of you? Great. Thanks so much for having us. Yes. Again, for letting us be here. Yeah, we're good. Excited to have this conversation. So it's been, I just asked and Jonathan did the math for the banker. Uh, it's been many months um, <laughs> since, since y'all were on the show. I think the last time y'all were on, everyone had written in a book. It had been a thing. And I will say, I've, I've heard conversations around the book. One of my good friends likes to reference articles from the book. Not articles. That's awesome. Writings. That thoughts. For, I don't know what the word is. Essays. Some are articles, essays. Yeah. yeah. All those are Words true. on the pages. He will mm-hmm. reference back. Um, and, and so, yeah, definitely there. So what is new for each of the three of you? Because 
It's a new year. That's the same year, but a new year. Why not? <laughs> we are. Um, so so we, we when we put out the book, our, our anthology, um, it was for the listeners uh, uh, who didn't listen to the last one. is an anthology about um, basically a lot of Christians writing about why they weren't voting for Donald Trump in the run up to the last election. And so we, we, we made a little um, company, just an LLC, to for the purposes of publishing the book. And now we're doing other stuff. So we've, we basically turned it into like a s- small media company. So we do have other books that we're planning to publish. Um, we're very excited about some of them, but we, uh, we're not quite at the point where we can say anything about like who, who they are, what we're doing yet, but, um, we're very excited about some of those. And then we also have a, a blog that consists, um, like of, of a weekly newsletter and, uh, of some writing from the three of us and, and hopefully some other people in future and a weekly podcast that we're doing called shake the dust. And all of it is kind of under the umbrella of, um, leaving colonized faith for the kingdom of God and centering and elevating marginalized voices. Those are kind of the, the big headers that we're doing everything under. Yeah. I think coming off, coming off the election, the reality that this is not going away became very present mm-hmm. and real for us. And I think mm-hmm. became present and real for everybody post January 6th and, you know, the continued election audits and things like that, that things are not, going away. And I think for me, you know, joining up with Science Susie was probably like just a gift during the pandemic and post-pandemic life because I did not, I didn't have a group of people to kind of lock arms with to engage in a sustainable long-term way to forge a new path towards liberation. Right. Um, to say like, we are going to create a a different collective story. Um, and having studied, I think we talked about this the last time I was on, um, like having studied Jerry Falwell and studied Billy Graham and kind of the formation of the religious right. Like if there's going to be resistance towards idolatry, it has to be just as organized and just as rigorous and just as expansive, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hope that KTF Press can be that, like through the podcast, through the blog, um, through the books that we publish, there'll be a, a, a new universe of Google terms that come up when people search for Christians in America, that <laughs> we'd be able to burst through that algorithm <laughs> with some light as opposed to the nonsense that comes up now. Huh. Yeah, I would say going off of that, there was definitely this um, massive push to get the anthology out. It was definitely a sprint and um, kind of got that done in record time. But this is sort of us saying, you know, we need to be in this for the long haul. You can't just address these things with one book over a three month period. You really need to be willing to, to dig in and do the work in the long term. And then, yeah, just adding to story. I mean, a lot of life has happened for the three of us since then. All three of us have moved. Mm-hmm. We've gone through all kinds of things with our kids and um, I'm expecting another one in October. So it's a lot of stuff that we've been through just as friends. And we kind of came to this realization that um, one, there's just a lot of synergy and shared passion there. And two, um, like Jonathan was saying, it's been really life-giving to have this fellowship. We have four hour meetings once a week and we can't stop. We have to with each other. It. Like, yeah. Four? I don't know. In addition, Three? wait, wait, you have one four hour meeting or four one hour meetings. We have one four hour meeting. It's not four hours. That's ridiculous. Well, four hours. We started. <laughs> I would not. 
I would, guys, if it's four hours and I haven't been noticing, <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> All I know is our cutoff time is regularly at midnight. Yeah. Yeah. That's we true. can get, yeah. That's true, yeah. So it's kind of like, guys, I need to go to bed now. Um, and I, yeah. And I send an immediate text after the call. but it's because it's you know we're talking business but then we're also just sharing about what's going on in our lives and and what's going on in the world and what's hard and what needs to be lamented and and so yeah that's been really cool so we're excited to share some of that with folks through the podcast through the newsletter and the blog and the other stuff we're doing yeah well congrats on the upcoming baby that's big i have three humans are great when they're not frustrating, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's good. I want to lean in on that. So the three of you started a podcast. I don't have many other podcasters on, but I'm curious, what did you think that that would look like and what does it actually look like? It's a good question. I thought that it would look like more of us sharing about our journeys in retrospect but what has really pressed me is being willing and able to explore how other people's journeys are going to influence me and change my life. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm, I mean, I did not know having a conversation with Lassam Al-Salibi was going to push against like things that I thought about human mm-hmm. rights and even global evangelicalism. Like I didn't know that like, sitting down and listening to my friends like Gabrielle and Millie, who are, you know, pastors and human rights lawyers, like respectively, like would, would just not blow my mind, but like make me feel incredibly humbled and proud to be their friends. You know, um, like I am being changed by the work that we're doing. And I think that was something that I'm grateful for, but was, was unexpected, Mm. you know? What about the other two of you? Anything? that you were expecting and you're like, that, I didn't know besides four hour meetings, which again <laughs> is ridiculous. <laughs> is ridiculous. I, I, still I work at a bank not, and I don't have four hour meetings. That, that's, it's not the real number. I run, I'm on record as I run that. two banks right and I don't have three hours. Meetings. I'm sorry. I'm going to claim pregnancy brain on that one. Guys. <laughs> Even three hours is ridiculous. <laughs> like that's a um, whole Lord of the Rings movie. Like that's, <laughs> Like that's, that's interstellar with all of the credits. Like <laughs> we, I, I would say a, a big unexpected thing for me, for me I mean, six months, I've, I've stopped uh, practicing law. I was doing that six months ago hmm. and now I'm, you know, all into audio stuff. Like I've learned a whole new <laughs> realm. I had no idea how to run a podcast before, before we looked into this and it's, uh, it's actually been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And, and just finding something for me, I think that is uh, like very personally fulfilling and um, it's something like I actually kind of enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis. That was not my experience as a lawyer, <laughs> but I've always kind of had a passion for um, uh, like trying to help people live, I think with more, integrity in their faith, like really, um, uh, trying to find ways in which their, their faith did not uh, like, it kind of isn't, isn't actually lining up with the things that Jesus says and asks us to do. Mm. And, um, uh, <laughs> there's unfortunately a lot of, uh, places that you can do that in, <laughs> in what the, the kind of church and society that we have today. Um, and I, I very much agree with Jonathan too, that it's, it's, 
making me like kind of articulate and think about things in, in much more like focused and concentrated ways. And, um, uh, I think just making me better at explaining kind of my faith and my, um, my relationship with God really, and, and understanding how that works and, and actually drawing closer to God in the process. Yeah. And shout out to Sai. Sai has been phenomenal. He really has become, I feel like an expert in such a short period of time. And I was talking to my husband about the podcast and he's like, wow, you're, you're getting really excited about this. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's exciting because Sai is doing such a phenomenal job. Like it sounds legit. Um, so that's been, that's been cool to just, you know, hand over this, this fantastic content with all of the amazing guests we've been able to have. And then let him do his thing. That's been such a blessing. And yeah, I think I, I didn't realize how much the stories and the testimonies and the witness of the people that we've had on the show would really become interwoven into the fabric of my life. Like, I feel like I'm referencing these conversations all the time, that they're becoming seminal conversations in my own walk. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect that. And even a, a specific example, I remember the day that we recorded with Reverend Dr. Lamar Hardwick, and we had been really excited to have him on the show. And he's been going through this difficult journey in his battle with cancer. And thankfully, he recently had a successful surgery. But yeah, yeah. he's been going through a lot. And his book on disability in the church is so profound. And that ended up being a day that I was dealing with some really scary things with my pregnancy. And we came on and had this conversation just about what it means to be human and and aspects of god and who he is and his the fact that he is as as uh reverend hardwick puts it disabled because of what christ went through on the cross and those wounds are still there and and i came out of that conversation just so um so deeply impacted because i was dealing with the limitations of my own humanity and the mm -hmm. fear that comes with that and wanting to just deny that and so yeah it's been it's been transformative on a personal level in a way that i could not have anticipated i would echo all of that i won't add much more to that because but yeah absolutely i i often find myself referencing back conversations that i've had um yeah many many times and then i'm also always terrified that when I say things and I'm like, that doesn't sound like my words. And then also I'm like, those are not my words, but I've made them part of the way that like I see the world. And I'm like, so maybe now they are my words. We're all just plagiarizing one another anyway. So yeah, one of you, I don't know whom, but Susie, I'll just stay with you. So when y'all are talking about like one of the goals of KTF um, more as a press and with the podcast and with everything else is to discuss like issues in and around like surrounded with colonized faith. And I think that that word colonized gets thrown around quite a bit, especially like on mm -hmm. Twitter, not as much on Facebook, at least maybe not with my friends, but definitely on Twitter. Like, mm -hmm. what is that and how are you kind of going about it? Yeah, so decolonizing your faith, it's, uh, and I actually heard this on a, on a recent podcast, Brandy Miller's podcast, Reclaiming My Theology. She had a guest that was talking about this and some other academic, more academic theologians will make this distinction where a lot of folks are talking about deconstruction, but that's a little bit, um, decolonization is distinct in that it's, it is seriously looking at this colonial project that took place historically, where you have all of this, you know, theology coming out of Europe and it's loaded with the racism and patriarchy and economic exploitation 
that was wrapped up in the colonial project. And so that ended up infiltrating our faith in the way that we see God and the way that we think that we're supposed to follow Christ. And that's still in many ways, the dispensation that we're dealing with today, theologically. And so it's, it's about getting to the root of those ideas and figuring out how do we extricate that so that we can go back to the Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. And, and again, emphasizing, you know, the tagline for our, our podcast is leaving colonized faith for the kingdom of God, because there should be a destination there. You know, the point is not to just leave people out in the desert and be like, well, this stuff is stuff is garbage and we're just going to drop you off here. But but really, it is about coming to a place of of greater intimacy with who Christ actually is and what he actually taught that is apart from what, you know, these colonial European, primarily white male philosophers and theologians have handed down to us. And so, yeah, so that's kind of what that that's about. Piggyback on that, it's like, you know, drill down. It's, it's a faith, like a colonized faith is a faith that is comfortable with power and making mm-hmm. people conform to that power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a faith that is, it's comfortable with racism and patriarchy and exploitative economic systems that, you know, that Susie just named. And then it makes those things necessary to engage with. Yeah, actually supports um, them. Isn't just comfortable with them. Yeah. Like, and then I think, you know, it, it, there's almost a, um, what's happening now. And I'm writing an essay about this is that they're, they're inextricably linked together. Right. And so, um, oh man, this is not in my notes, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Like essentially, um, what I think is that colonized faith, what you end up having happen is you, there are custodians of colonialism, which is like by women and BIPOC people who are pursuing whiteness. So we actually become people who enforce systems of patriarchy and systems of abuse and violence and economic systems and structures. And we enforce like cultural hegemony. That is like we adopt the racism and the colorism and the the supremacy as well. Right. And then you have um, people who the custodians like like us, that's not my word. That's another scholar. But um, we become custodians of the colony um, through implementing the, the systems and structures. And then there are the people who actually embody what Willie Jennings called like the patrofamilias, like the white male self-sufficient owner of things. And so we're all pursuing that ideal. And then the dominant culture like then gets to make that a holy thing. And that's where I think the colonized joins the faith in that mm. this is supposedly God ordained. Um, and I think that that's when it becomes destructive and eternal. Um, and I think that's the thing that, that it doesn't die with a person, like it gets passed on, you know? And so I'm praying that we could be a part of not just the deconstruction that, that Susie said that Brandy broke down so well on her podcast, but also the, the explicit decolonization. Yeah. I think the history of civilization is littered with things that God ordained or the, the things that we mistakenly thought that God ordained. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what you were saying, I don't know if it was either you, Susie, or, John, or you, Jonathan, but there's um there's a lyric in a song um, that I don't think is actually out yet. I don't actually care, but I'm going to read you the lyric because the guy writes music in a way that like literally like rips at my heart in the best and the worst way. So he's writing a song about like what the church is telling people 
like, hey, we see you, but you can't stay here. Like, you got to leave because, you know, we got a budget. So, like, it, it, it reaches out from a bunch of different sections, but there's a part in here, and it's about a girl named Jane. He sa- it says that Jane was born with a skin darker than her peers, spent a cycle telling them the reason for her fears. No one seemed to know or care about the past, and then they showed her where they stood with every vote they cast, which then leads into the chorus that says, you know, and they said, Jane, thanks for your time, but there's just no room here for you when there's power on the line. And we know you're hurting, but we're not listening. We should help you out, but we don't really have that kind of time. So go work harder and you'll be all fine, but you must go. And like for some reason, when you said power, like Mm. that's like, hey, we heard you. We see you hurting, whatever it is, but you can't stay here. Like, yeah, right. You can't, you can't be in here. I mean, to tie a couple of things that that uh, the other two said together, we had Lamar Hardwick on, like Susie was was saying, who's an, an autistic pastor, who's a disability advocate, and um, you know he 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 talked about how basically capitalism, colonialism created this situation for black people where they needed to understand they they understood that the the point of them being in America was to produce, and so they needed bodies to produce. So when there were disabled black people, they would have. Um, you know, there's, there's this whole kind of, um, cultural like inheritance of, of having to hide that fact because of like the cruelty that would come toward slaves who were disabled because they weren't producing for the capitalist system. And then he would talk about how in his church and a lot of the churches that he talks to, when he talks about how do you do disability ministry, you know, one of the main questions is like, what's going to be the return on investment? Cause this is expensive. <laughs> right. And so he pulls <laughs> out like the parable of the banquet from the gospels and talking about who, who you should be concerned with and who you're, you know, that, that the people who you invite to your table shouldn't be the powerful, shouldn't be the people who are just going to be able to repay you with the same money and the same honors. It should be the people who cost you something. And like, so, mm-hmm. so just kind of, um, I don't know, I think that's just one example of how we're, we're trying to undo that and trying to get people to listen to people who are undoing that exact thing that's that's put in that song and i really want to hear that song now <laughs> uh, so whatever comes out let me know i'll i'll ask him maybe i'll send it to you actually i'll send you a link so i actually had him on the show last night like i hosted like a live zoom meeting and um he like oh, played awesome. he played the whole ep for whoever happened to show up um oh, I'll, I'll send what? you the youtube link yeah i mean it's 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 not like you're there in person because again he's singing through mm-hmm. zoom but it's still like it's anyway um Mm -hmm. yeah like uh i don't know i we didn't come here and talk about that album but we could but we won't um (laughs) it's one of those albums that when i heard it like there's so much in there that i'm like yeah i know people that have said that exact same thing to me in a podcast because they felt safe to say it and Mm -hmm. uh, you know anyway so i really am upset that you won't tell me who the authors are and what you're doing but i do want to know what they're (laughs) speaking about um like so what are some of the subjects that you'll plan to publish on and like what direction is that going in um the reason i ask is i don't know how to say this so like literally i watched the news today while i was playing baseball with my kids in between you know we're practicing um you know batting and whatnot so they don't forget how to play by the time next spring comes and I see that Mitch McConnell has been a jerk again and basically said, sorry, we don't care about voting rights for people. Um, yeah. And then I see so many of my friends from the church being like, yes, that's what we stand for. We did it. So like, that's got to stop. And I don't know if necessarily that's what y'all are tackling, but it reminds me so much of what we were all writing against in the book yeah. that was published last year. So what are some of the themes and topics that you hope KTF can kind of 
bring into a forefront so that people can really get upset as they wrestle with them. Because honestly, I think that that angst is part of the conversation. Maybe I'm wrong. At least it is for me. Do you want to go ahead, Susie? Oh, I, sure. I'll, I'll jump in and then and feel free to add on. Mm-hmm. Say. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing we've been discussing, we, we do feel like a part of what we're trying to do is is promote. Um, I'm going to use the term political literacy, but just because I know a lot of folks have been talking about religious literacy in, in the past uh, decade or so and, and how we need to understand, you know, other faiths and what they believe. And, and in this in a similar way, I feel like white evangelicals in the United States, we need a new dispensation in terms of how we engage on a, on a policy level and, and a new way of understanding how our faith informs our politic. And of course, that was, you know, what the original anthology was all about. That's what you folks were writing about. And so this is a continuation of that in a lot of ways. I would say, especially with the newsletter, where we're trying to help people engage with different sources outside of maybe what they're used to engaging with. And so some of it is pointing folks towards explicitly Christian resources Mm -hmm. and some of it is pointing folks towards other resources that aren't explicitly Christian, but how do we be in the world, but not of it in a way that's not us just existing in our own little bubble that historically has been a segregated bubble where we're only engaging with people who look like us, who think like us, and and that's so dangerous. And so, yeah, again, I, I would point folks to the newsletter for that piece. But then, of course, the the book projects that we're going to be working on, we'll be touching on that as well. And then, yeah, the podcast. I mean, uh, this past week's episode, we interviewed Sai's wife, who's was previously an immigration rights lawyer and now works at NYU Law, and someone who contributed to the anthology as a DACA recipient and just engaging with their, both their personal and professional stories and hearing from them. I think it's so important for folks to hear about these issues through story, because that's really how we will connect and be able to cross these divides and bridge these divides and and even just understand that that needs to happen because I think sometimes we folks don't even know that we need to, we don't Mm. even know we're in a bubble Mm. and, um, we were discussing this too. We recently got to sit down with uh, Professor Dumay, the author of Jesus and John Wayne, and she talks about the evangelical consumer culture that developed. And that again, that's like that's the hive that we're in. And so, so we're kind of trying to push the the walls of that outward. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and, and in terms of subjects, we're we're kind of we're covering so many different things because I think like the, the just in general, the kind of colonial theology that we're talking about touches on so many different issues, but like we've gone, you know, we, we had um, Rich Velotas talking about like anti-racist pastoring and emotional health and um, Sandra Maria Van Opstel talking about, um, uh, you know, issues that women of color have um, as leaders in the church. And and we had Pastor Hardwick talking about disability and we had, you know, the, let's see, he was just talking about talking about immigration. Like we're trying to go at a lot of different things, but from an angle where we, we want to take the seriously, we want to take more seriously than any other perspective, the, uh, the perspective of the people who are actually being affected by 
the issues, the like the the oppression, the ways that things are happening, the discrimination that's happening out there, right? So so we're, we don't want to just hear from the same exact voices about race, right? Like if, if you know, for instance, people will tell you, you know, when you're talking about race, they want you to just preach the gospel and you ask them who best defines the gospel and they're going to give you a bunch of people who own slaves, right? And like, I, I don't, the, you know, the, if, if the gospel didn't stop Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield from doing the things that they did, then I, that's, that's not, there's something enormous missing there, right? And, and also, if you actually want to engage with the entire church and genuinely be in communion with brothers and sisters of, of all different backgrounds, like I'm not going to sit down with Jonathan and be like, Jonathan, let's learn about the gospel from somebody who would have been genuinely okay with me owning you as property. Like that's absurd. We're not doing that. Right. So we're starting from the perspective of not what is the norm. Oftentimes in America, we're going to take more seriously than anything else. Um, the people who are most affected by the problems that we've created because they're going to best understand those problems. And they're going to be the ones who are, who are best going to help you move away from them. Yeah, I think the podcast and the newsletter, I think, speak to that Mitch McConnell moment that you're talking about, where you're like, so here's an example, like a resource I want to post this week, and I've had like thought about for a while was um, the long form podcast series about the voting rights in North Carolina, where the, the only actual strategized voting fraud that is happening in the United States was perpetuated by the Republican Party in North Carolina. Like, that's what it was. It actually wasn't Democrats or people of color at all. Like, it was a political machine run by the religious right in North Carolina, mm. right? And so, if, but that's not the story that's out there, right? But, like, that's going to be a newsletter. Because if we're going to have a conversation, we need to center and elevate the people who are actually doing that journalism, right? Um, and so I think the newsletter and the podcast kind of get at those like, oh, like, what's that thing we were talking about with policing? What's, oh, we're going to talk about NPR's through line podcast from like a couple months ago that like laid it out, right? And I think the books, like particularly the, oh, the two that are coming <laughs> is that like, I'm trying not to like slip up and say what it is, but it's like they tackle like, <laughs> That's why size editing, right? I know. It's going to be. But like larger forms of systemic oppression that we could apply to today. So like um, you, the, yeah, I'll stop because I don't, don't want to say what it is. But you know, just like with the anthology, the anthology you can pick up in five and 10 years, it'll still be applicable. Mm -hmm. And that's what books need to be, you know? And so that's mm -hmm. that, these, these next two books. Yeah. at least will be really I'm, that. I'm angry that that's I honestly I think that that's true so I think it's Drew Hart that has said something like I hate that my books are bestsellers like this is stupid right. like this should not in 15 years mm -hmm. these books should become obsolete and people are like oh look we we learned our lesson and that's mm -hmm. I don't like that I agree with you that the anthology will still be relevant um, eh, yeah right. you know, like it it shouldn't be um, so right. I don't I don't know Okay, it's that time. You know, you can try to fast forward. We'll see. Lord knows. Maybe you'll get it right. Maybe you won't. And then you can rewind it 10, 15 seconds. It's going to be fine. But it's time to do the things. I'll be right back. I am curious, though, and I want to lean on that word that Susie said, and any one of you can answer this. So, you know, in the in the definition of dispensation, you know, like that's a new system of order, a new system of government or a new system of church or a new system of how the way, you know, the way that we read the Bible, how do we pivot to a new dispensation, which I like that thought. And I think that that's accurate, 
without becoming another version of fundamentalist on the opposite like side of the coin or just a new coin newly minted freshly looked and then we're like yeah but you know and we other people in the opposite way i i'll be real brief on this and then leave room for the other two um i and the, part of it is actually what we part of what we just said is is the answer to this question and i'll explain why so like white evangelicals and white white christians in america period have spent forever like a century now dealing with this like split that if you grew up in a, in a white church you may have heard of between like fundamentalists and modernists or, or or evangelicals in the social gospel or whatever people who care more about things that are politically on the left people care about you know it's it's a political split it's a theological split it affects other people because anything that like white people do in America as Christians affects other Christians, but it didn't actually happen in other churches. Right. So mm-hmm. like it, Jonathan and I both went to Urbana when we were in college and they were talking endlessly about this divide. And for me, I was like, Oh yes, this makes so much sense of my life. And Jonathan is like, what are they talking about? <laughs> I have no true. idea what this no is. I, it what doesn't matter to me. I have never had, right, I have never had any issue thinking that these, you know, uh, social justice issues are like intertwined. It's all the same, right? So mm. part, part of the answer of how you, you have a new paradigm is you, is you flip who you're most paying attention to because mm. the problem, a lot of the problems that we're dealing with are, are not pro- are problems that came from us and problems that everybody else has either existed outside of or figured out solutions to. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. You, now you guys talk. <laughs> 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 I I will say yes and amen to that. I will also say on the on a personal and relational level, I think there's three things uh, that we need to resist, and I've said them before in other places. But I think resisting the pride, particularly like generational pride, like every you know, well, we're going to do this better than them, right? And so we define ourselves as superior to X, Y, and Z. Um, and so I think if we position ourselves as perpetual learners and pursuers of righteousness and justice in the gospel and the kingdom of God, as opposed to people who have gotten it, right, then we, mm. and, and that, and that I think gets at the consumerist part of it, right? Like we all want to produce something that can be consumed by lots of people, right? As opposed to experience something that's worth sharing with others who are willing to listen, right? And so I think resisting pride and then resisting narcissism, like just being a, a self-referencing group of people, like the answer to one echo chamber is not another echo chamber, right? Mm-hmm. That, or like, you know, superseding another echo chamber, like, you know, like if CNN ate Fox News, we still have a problem, right? Uh, and so, and, and vice versa for people who want to watch Fox. Um, <laughs> the reality is like we, we have to create a new thing, which is why, you know, Willie Jennings, like his book, Christian Imagination, um, other resources that I hope we, you know, can contribute to create new paradigms for leading uh, because leading does not include co- like just destroying those who disagree with you and creating this new system. Like it's just not, this is not what we're trying to do. That's what colonization does. Mm. And I think it's hard for people not to imagine leading differently, but I do think Jesus offers models for that and other cultures um, offer models for that in ways that are inherently decolonial in nature. 
Mm. Yeah, We're, and I'll I'll add to that just by referencing two of our podcast conversations. Uh, as, I, as I explained earlier, I'm now want to do. Um, <laughs> when when we spoke to um, Pastor Sandra Maria Van Opstel, she talked about this scarcity mentality that is also downstream of, of white supremacy and, and the kind of colonized faith that we're trying to get away from. And, and so we're really trying to embrace this theology of, uh, so disclaimer, this is something I wrote one of my master's theses on, but a theology of hospitality. So, so how do we add more leaves to the table? How do we welcome more people into the space as opposed to saying, you know, I'm going to be the new, Mm-hmm. the new main voice, I'm going to be the new demagogue or whatever. It's, it's more, how can we add more people to the conversation? And, and I'm not going to deny that that danger that you referenced isn't there. I mean, believe me, that's what keeps me up at night among other things, <laughs> but um, I got a lot keeping me up at night right now and more <laughs> to come, but that's definitely one of them. So I, I think that's, you know, something that we are cognizant of and need to be cognizant of, but I think part of it is, is again, having that, moving away from the scarcity mentality that we need more voices at the table. And I think Sai's answer was so great. And just an example of that when, with the recent flare up in violence between Israel and Hamas, we were able to have Reverend Dr. Munther Isaac on our podcast, which was such a privilege. And he's speaking as a Palestinian theologian, the Dean of Bethlehem Bible college. And so we're hearing some deep, Palestinian theology. We're seeing the Bible through Palestinian eyes. And so those are the kinds of, again, marginalized voices that we want to bring to the fore because there's so much that we have to learn. We are, we are so far behind when it comes to listening to our brothers and sisters all over the world. Because again, Sai gave such a great example, but a lot of the issues that we're dealing with that we're like, oh, the church is dealing with this issue. Well, no, the white evangelical church is dealing with these issues. Yeah. Mm. A lot of other Christians in other places in the world aren't dealing with this. Not that any church is perfect in any part of the world, but, but again, we have a lot to learn and we haven't done a very good job of listening since America has been the imperial power that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Just to yeah. piggyback on what you said, like a white, like the white Western church. So the reason I ask is like, so I was talking with a friend at work and he's like, I don't under, and he happens to be Muslim. Um, and he's like, I don't understand why everybody cares about the Southern Baptist Convention. And I tried to explain, mm-hmm. I was like, it's because they basically run the publishing industry for 80% of what most mm-hmm. of the North American church consumes because those mm-hmm. are the books that are in the Lifeway Christian bookstores. Mm-hmm. Like, like, so what they vote on, whether or not you're Southern Baptist, ends up being the crap that's in your, like, in your life. And yeah. you, you can't escape it. And he's like, oh, well, that... And then he tried to tell me why I should just do the Quran instead, because you know. Then we went on a different tangent, and that was fun. We we talked for hours. Um, I love talking <laughs> with him about the Quran. I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. So, like six months from now, you're all hyper professional podcasters, right? Mm. Like like you're making six figures podcasting, because that's mm. why we all do this. Everybody is aware of that. Speak that into existence. <laughs> <laughs> that's also why you publish. Make the big bucks. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I talk to Everybody many authors, leaves. and I don't think that that is... I think everyone loses money, except for like four authors. I think that's that's the rule. Yeah, mm, yep. exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. One of my one of my friends, like he literally publishes book, but then he's like, "Yeah, I got to go do my actual job." But he just writes because he can't stop writing. He just enjoys there, writing. There um, you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you could hang it up in six months, I'm not saying that you should, 
Like, what does that look like? Like, what is it y'all growing or is it people listening and then taking that whether or not you know it and growing? Is it watching certain denominational shifts come about because of conversations that maybe people are hearing? Like, what does that look like as you're like, yeah, this is where I'd like to be. And I don't care. Six months is arbitrary. You call it six years. I don't actually care. Six months from now is Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? It is. It is Christmas. Almost. Yeah. Six months and three days. You know what? I don't. Christmas stresses me out. Let's say January. Seven anyway. months. <laughs> it's a good question. It is. Yeah. It's such a good question. I, I feel uh, like. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was really fast. I said three things before and I only said two. Um, so the, the third thing is hurry. And so I think, I don't know. I, th- I think we need to resist the urge for things to happen quickly and like happen now, mm-hmm. right? Because when, when we're prideful, which I, I long for us not to be prideful in, in what we're doing, I think we have something special to offer. And that was actually an email that we got back. Someone said, please unsubscribe me. I'm so tired of Christians believing that they have the next new best thing. That was a, that was an email we got back. So I, I, don't, I hope that, like that's not email, how email works, but we'll work, true. we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's one thing. The second thing, you know, so pride, narcissism, hurry. And like, if things are not different in six months, other than like us having a number of paid subscribers so that we're able to pay marginalized voices to write, mm. Like that's, that's what I would want to be different in six months. If everything else stayed the same, like, you know, we made our, we made the podcast, we had our publishing contracts and we have, you know, the author, the authors that we have signed, like, I want that to be different, but I would love it if, if in six months we were paying writers from marginalized communities to write. Mm. I would love that. Mm. Like, and, and that just takes subscribers, but, um, but we already have the writers. It's that, that would, that would be. I think that would be amazing. If we were able to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Susie, you had some good. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, this isn't a complete answer, but just thinking it's been neat. We've gotten one or two also emails <laughs> that have been just really neat. I, I don't want to go into details just for the sake of these folks' privacy, but just responses that, that something that we put out really touched them in a, in a really deep um, way that made them feel like they, again, they, they can have a seat at the table, that there's room for them at the table. And, and that, that's what you want to see. That's what you want to hear. Mm. And so just seeing more of that, um, you know, not that folks need to come and tell us that we can feel good about ourselves, but I hope, and I pray that we can continue to have that kind of impact on, on people's lives. Yeah. Not just be another, email in their inbox, you know, when the newsletter goes out or not just not another podcast in the player, but that, that the conversations that we're having would be deeply meaningful and transformative to people. Yeah. I I think part of the vision for me is just creating a space that feels really different and a little bit disorienting, but in a good way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, so like where, where people are able to bring their full selves no matter who they are to a space where they can have like very strong convictions but at the same time know that we're operating in a way where we're all going to be kind of humble and reciprocal like we're not going to say to any part of the body i don't need you 
any anybody from any political persuasion mm. from any you know we're we're going to be clear about what we believe and say I disagree with you on this and that and I'm going to challenge you on on these things that you think but um but yeah just just a space that feels like when you genuinely encounter Jesus in that way right because that that's how he feels it's disorienting it's different than what you feel a lot of times just in like the production of church services or Christian consumer culture mm. um it, but it's like you know that you belong there and you know that you're going to be heard but you also know that you're going to be like made to hear and take other people's perspectives like seriously in a way that that you just otherwise don't in the rest of your life like Jesus always pushes you to do that pushes you to stop centering yourself, pushes you to take seriously the, you know, he, he the, the way that he took seriously so many people that, that everyone around him wasn't. Yeah. So I've had a lot of longer existential questions and I always end with two um, and we're not there yet. So I thought I would ask a, a more selfish question and, and Jonathan, it may require your help. And so for people not listening, I'm going to link right here in the transcript. And if not, people are gonna have to Google it. The y'all's first episode in which at the end there, Jonathan decided to eat potato chips, I believe, <laughs> on on the mic. And so for those that have been listening to the show recently, like I to be, continue to be self-sustaining, um, not necessarily to get rich because that's not the point. I've had to put like ads in the show and I let that, you know, be based on your browser cookies, people. So you people that email me in wondering why you're getting commercials for X, Y or Z. It's because you're searching for it in Google. That's mm-hmm. not a me thing. That's a you thing. <laughs> That's, that's how the internet works. <laughs> you better do with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> so, um, but I thought, I, I keep wondering how to like, you know, segue into that in the middle. And so I think when we're done with this, I'm going to need you to eat some potato chips into the microphone. And that's just going to become like the audio logo for the ad break there. I can, I can advertise for it. The, I, don't, I don't know what, oh, I, I didn't, I had a certain chip. They were the crunchiest chips I've ever had in my entire life. They were crunchy. <laughs> yeah, moment, but when I was listening, when I was listening, I think I had like 15 minutes left and you're like, did you get this all the way to the end? I'm like, not yet. So then I, I fire it up. I'm like, you got to be, I'm driving down the road and that's in surround sound in my car. It's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> 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 Oh, it's great. It's great. So it's not in the, we should, we should probably clarify. It's not in the episode. We put recording bloopers at the end of the episode. Yes. No, you should have left it in. It would have been. Yeah. Cause the internet doesn't forget. Um, matter of fact, I don't need you to do it. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to steal it and I'm just going to put it in there. And, and I, I'm, I can just email it to you. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm teasing. Maybe, maybe I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> send you a text later and be like, so can I get that lace? What, what, what happened? Um, yeah. So, um, I, I've begun trying to find a way to phrase this question differently. Cause every time I ask it, the context gets lost. So, um, for each of the three of you, what do you feel like congregationally or communally, the people of the church need to begin speaking about? for fear that if they don't, because they're afraid to say something in church for being ostracized or being kicked out of a community or being judged, like the church, a part of the church will die and like wither away if we can't figure out a way to come and speak honestly all of our angst and fears and anxieties or things that we're hopeful for, like as a body. I don't necessarily care what the pastor needs to talk to people about. I more care about what do you feel like it's important that the, the people begin to speak up about. 
one thing, Seth? Just one? Hey, man. Yeah, you're like one. Listen, listen, it's um it's not a three hour meeting. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. That's a good <laughs> mm. Okay, I think a lot of the stuff that we talk about falls under the heading of divestment from privilege. So I'm trying to summarize a lot of thoughts into one big idea. My, my, my humanities degree is said, really I'll doing see your right one now. thing and I will make it a run on sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, one, one of the main things that the Bible glorifies Jesus for doing is the giving up of privilege is the emptying himself of, mm. of power and glory. Mm. And there is a huge section of, the American church that lives on the opposite principle <laughs> effectively, right? Lives on the amassing of power for the sake of the gospel, allegedly, right? It's, right. we have to, so, so this becomes you amass power and you protect power, even when it's under legitimate attack from people who have been harmed by it, because you think that you need to have that power in order for the witness to, to be, like still out there for your witness to get out there for people to, to hear the word of God for people to be saved. And so I think like one of the biggest things for me would be just Jesus telling us that like, if we don't spread the gospel, like the rocks are going to cry out a fundamental thing that I think we need to let like sink into who we are is that we are not necessary to anything God is doing (laughs) ever. We get to participate in it and it's a privilege, but we're, we are just unnecessary. And that doesn't mean that we're not loved, that we're not like incredibly valuable, but it does mean that protecting yourself and protecting your own power is never something that you do for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's like a million different ways that I would apply that probably to all different kinds of problems that we're having, but that would be one very big thing for me. Go ahead, Susie. <laughs> Does does Susie indicate that she has something, or you just nope? Stole it, I just don't. I just I just have <laughs> He's not. He's gonna pass the mic. <laughs> yeah, it's not together yet. I'm still I'm Jonathan's. still rolling the dough in my head, trying to get it to look right, and I can't. So. Well, I'll I'll start talking. And you tell me if you're ready to, to bake some bread, Jonathan. You can stop me. So, um, yeah, I think I'll. I'll reference again my first uh, master's thesis that I wrote, not because it was great, it was a mess, but because the research that I did impacted me so deeply. And it was the theology of, again, the theology of hospitality, but another way that that's been referred to is philoxenia, so love of the stranger. And, And embracing those on the margins, those who are unlike us, those who are cast aside. And so it's definitely connected to what Sai was sharing, but really reclaiming that history. And Reverend Reverend Hardwick talked about this too, that historically the church, it was Christians who started the first hospitals and mm-hmm. and were some of the first ones involved in in caring for for those who were sick and those who had disabilities and and for you know the poor and indigent and and it, it's so tragic that I feel like in so many ways we've lost that that ethic 
that is so prevalent in the gospels in what Christ preached when he talked about the kingdom of God. You know, when he talks about the parable of the banquet and who's invited. And, and so I really want to see the church get back to that space where, you know, so I referred to it as a divestment of privilege and Jonathan talked about power. So divesting of that privilege and power and realizing that where we belong is really on the margins. And again, that those are the voices that we need to listen to, not in like a, you know, I'm going to come from here and help you, mm. but, but realizing that that, that is where God is present. That's where you're going to find Christ is on the margins. And so if we can reclaim that truth and that form of incarnation as the body of Christ, I think we'll be in a much better place. I think I think the other things will start to fall into place. That was the egg timer, Jonathan. That was <sighs> it. All right, I'm going to talk. You can edit this shit out. Okay. <laughs> All right, look, I, I love what Zai and Susie have said. Um, I'm, I, I am just stuck on your question. Mm. Why? Uh, what do you mean? So if I read Revelation 18 and then the first two verses of Revelation 19, the death is not bad. And I think, you know, so Revelation 18 is essentially like a eulogy for Babylon, like a, like a prophetic, yeah, against Babylon. And then Babylon is destroyed. And in Revelation 19, there's, you know, hallelujah, salvation and glory. There's worship after Babylon is destroyed. And so I would hope that the death of Babylon and those who worship in Babylon for the sake of the prophets who have been killed by Babylon, because in the scriptures, it says that uh, praise be to God because he has avenged the blood of the prophets and the blood of the prophets was in Babylon. Right. Um, then that destruction is not bad. It is, it is just for these systems and things to fall. My hope is that it would create an urgency for us to preach a whole gospel that liberates people from Babylon. So I think what we have to talk about is empire, which is just power and privilege. Mm -hmm. like and so I don't know which theologian has said it or what popular people have said it, but like, you know, they're churches that are dead already. Mm. They would continue going each Sunday and doing the things and collecting money and doing all, and God has not been there for years, right? And so I, I, I just want to be able to talk about empire and the, and the things that come in, you know, I get, work could be colonization, work could be empire, work could be power, but I think it's just like, I don't want to sit down with another student who is going to go home and be disowned by their parents or rejected from community for saying like, Hey, every person is made in the image of God. And that includes my friend who's Jewish, even though they aren't Christian. And that includes my friend who's gay, even though they're not a Christian. That includes my black friend, even though they want to defund the police. Like they, they like it includes like these people who you now say are worthy of our vitriol of violence and death, even in some cases, right? In the name of Jesus, 
quoting my the my pillow guy, right? Like we have to like <laughs> if we can't do that, then it, I, I I would hope that like the coming death of anybody who is in Babylon and worships Babylon would actually spur us toward an evangelism that is brave to go into these spaces. But but yeah, if we don't talk about it, then then death is just pending. And then, I mean, Paul would say we, they're already dead in their transgressions and sins, right? Hmm. So I, I think implicit in what I said about us not being necessary is like churches, denominations, mm-hmm. you know, multiple denominations, they can all fall away. Yeah, right. And right, that right. does not, that actually doesn't have to be a bad thing, which is right. it, like people will get hurt in the process, no question. But right. I mean, there's, there isn't like in, in the, the work that we're doing, we're not, necessarily trying to save any like institution or power structure. Right. 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 We're trying to be, we're trying to leave for the kingdom of God, right? Like that's what we're trying to prop up as we're trying to be ambassadors of. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, like I don't want to be, I don't want to lament over Babylon. I just don't, you know what I'm saying? And I think when I think like, when I think about like I work for a campus ministry And if I think to myself, oh man, like, you know, if this ministry went away, that's all right. I remember sitting down with someone and I wanted to start a movement when I was like this young whippersnapper leader person. Whippersnapper. And he said, Jonathan, (laughs) he said, Jonathan, if you're truly working at something, you should not want to be around in 15 years. Because if you're still around, then you're actually going to start trying to save your institution and stop trying to solve the problem. Mm. That's what he said to me. And yeah, I, that was hard, but I, I agree with him now in that like, yeah, like what we're doing can pass away, will pass away. And that's all right. Yeah. You know? So I've asked all three of you this already, but I'm going to do it again. Why not? I asked it when we spoke last time and it's been long enough and you've done enough podcast episodes that you probably have forgotten, but I haven't. For each of the three of you in no particular order, if you want to wrap words around God or the divine, what is that? Oh, you asked Jonathan this. I don't think you asked Susie and I this, actually. Oh, well, then you want to roll? You want to do it? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> <let me. laughs> I, I may not have. I don't know. I try to ask everyone. Um, you did. I think you did. Okay. Well, I'm sorry if I've forgotten. Hey. Honestly, my answer from six months ago is probably different today than then. So, yeah, because my my answer is not relevant at the time, at the moment. Um, so, what would y'all what would y'all say to them? I I think the thing that I come back to all the time, and I have for like, I think throughout the whole um, time that I've been trying to follow Jesus is the notion that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Like those, those words represent a, a lot to me, both in my personal journey, but also just because of how like wildly all-consuming they are for a person to be the way that you follow, the truth that you pursue, and the life that you live. Um, and I don't, that doesn't mean that I, do, that I do that all the time or do it perfectly. It just means to to be i mean you talked about wrapping words around the divine i think it's it's something that is um three things that like immediately come to mind one is like all consuming and um 
mysterious in a lot of ways. One, but then completely the opposite of that is that it's like everywhere. <laughs> it's in everything that you do, the most ordinary things mm. and the most ordinary interactions that you have with people. And then the third thing is that in a lot of ways it's corrective to me. I've talked about this in the podcast before, like me personally, you know, thinking about Jesus as truth, like Jesus does not come to us and say that the truth is a series of statements, that the truth is a bunch of um, ideas that you assent to. Um, he comes to us and says, I am the truth. Me as a person standing mm -hmm. in front of you, me as a spirit with which you interact and um, the way that, that you have to then throw away like all the notions that I grew up with of what constitutes truth and reform what constitutes truth around a person, around a living entity, around a creator um, is, I think, uh, probably something that I'm never going to stop trying to figure out, but I'm perfectly happy to never be able to stop trying to figure that out. Hmm. And just to punctuate that, there was a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start with a cliche, but then I'll hopefully redeem it. Um, I, I would say you know, God is the, the air that I breathe. And what I mean by that is, first of all, one of the, the most powerful things I heard when I was in seminary was a professor talking about how if we think about the Holy Spirit, we've... <laughs> We really put the Holy Spirit into a box, but really, if you look in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. So wherever there is life, that's where the Holy Spirit is. That's where he's at work. And, and so in that sense, and so I was kind of touching on this, you know, God is, he's animating everything that, that is going on around me, that is in me. Um, but then also... I have to say, you know, we spend a lot of time critiquing these different ideas and, and again, use that word dispensation that we were, for me, that I was raised in. But I, I do have to say specifically with my parents, they did a phenomenal job of raising me in a way that I always understood that you live and you die for Christ. At the end of the day, he is all that we have. And and I've seen that in my own life. And sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, even doing this work, I'm like, how do I keep getting sucked into things like this? Like, why <laughs> can't I just go have a normal life, have a normal job, you know, have my nine to five and, and just not care about what happens with the church and not care about what kind of witness we're being for Christ globally. And, but I can't, I can't walk away from that. That's all that really matters. That's all that I have. And I've seen that in other people's lives. I remember one time sitting with a, a Syrian refugee mom in my old apartment in Lebanon. And this was a woman at the time we, we thought she was a widow. She had two little kids. She ended up finding out that her husband had, had abandoned her, just couldn't handle what was happening with their family, with the poverty and the desperation. And, and so he, he took off and she, her situation was one of the toughest situations that we'd seen. And she had come over just to sit and talk, but she had experienced Christ in a really profound way. And she said, you know, I used to envy people who have things, who have money, who are able to care for their kids, 
But now that I've experienced God in the way that I have, I realize that other people who have things, who have wealth, who have possessions, they should envy me because they'll never experience God being there for them in the way that I've experienced him in my want and in my need. Mm. And, and I knew that it was true. I knew that she had seen God in a way that I, I will probably never seen, see him. She had felt his presence in her life in a way that I will probably never experience. And so he's not just all that I have. He's all that any of us have. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, amen to all of that. And I think the only thing that, that, the first thing that came to mind when you said that um, was the emotions that I felt when you asked that question the last time were mm-hmm. all like right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the way that I talked about God during that time when you asked me, it was something that was very uh, familiar to me. But the way that I'm experiencing God now is unfamiliar to me. So I'm not used to experiencing God. Um, I don't know how to say this and have it mean what I want to say, but like personally and intimately, not powerfully. So I'm used to experiencing God's power. So casting out demons, healing people, miracle stuff. Um, what's happening now is like, God is not judging me. God is not condemning me. God is not supervising me. God is not evaluating me. God is not um, hovering over me, um, waiting for me to break down so that he can like fix it and then like give me direction so I can go try harder again. Like God is not an overseer Mm. on the ministry plantation that I am on to work for him. He's just not that. And that is, it's, it's just, I just, I don't know how to, function with a God, which, you know, Jesus and John Wayne, when we interviewed Kristen Covez Dumay, and I don't, I don't know what to do with that God mm. that just wants to sit with me by still waters and green pastures and all that, like mm. that joined with uh, all of the, the grandeur and stuff. Like it's the Isaiah six, distant and close and intimate but far away and high and lifted up and near to us and our father in heaven right intimate our father seated in heaven um yeah it's uh it's overwhelming and good yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah thank you all for that i'm aware how hard that question is um i'm also equally glad that i'm not usually answering it so <laughs> yeah uh, yeah at, at least not here um so where so people need to go to the places 
and and you'll probably have more places now than the last time that we spoke. So where do people do the things that the people should be doing? I don't even know if that's a real sentence. So, no, that's all right. <laughs> that was words. It was, you know, two clauses with verbs and a subject <laughs> and an object. <laughs> um, I, I would love for people to go to ktfpress.com and subscribe. Like, so excited about the, the, the newsletters that come out each week, the resources that are there. Go there, subscribe so we can pay writers and um, just engage with leaders that are overlooked and voices that are pushed to the side and yeah some really beautiful amazing resources and people that deserve our attention so kcfpress.com yeah and the social stuff on facebook instagram and twitter is just at ktf press another plug for people listening i don't know where to link to the newsletter i'll find it by the time this episode comes out but i will say i get the newsletter i read it one of my favorite things is, um, Sai, you're, you're probably going to like this more than the other two. Is I, I really think I prefer your recommendations. Um, specifically, though. Um, right? Yeah. Like, every, so every time, like, I read it, I'm like, I don't know what this is. So, like, your most recent one, like, the, um, like there was a useful, like, ex- explainer from some center for something about the, um, about the For the People Act. And, like, so I'm reading oh, yeah. that, and I'm like, didn't know. Didn't know. Didn't. <laughs> didn't know any of this now i feel stupid but now i know No, that's not the goal yeah (laughs) yeah no i i mean just evaluated myself i'm like i probably should have known but i just invest my time in other things and and my things seem to be more in the vein of you Susie, and you jonathan so so i like Mm -hmm. you you bring a, a different portion to the plate where i'm like i don't normally eat that that's not I don't eat things with color. <laughs> like I only eat fried foods and potatoes, you know. Um, because they're delicious. So, yeah, so, 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 so people listening, do subscribe to the newsletter um, because your experience may vary from one of the other, from one of the other authors. So thank all three of you. Um, Susie, I appreciate your time. Sai, thanks for your time. Jonathan, thanks for your time as well. I know that y'all are all extremely busy. And yeah, it's been a pleasure having you back on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, Seth, we appreciate your time. Thank you for hosting us. You are welcome. We're made for each other in the image of love. You and me. Now, this show is, you know, created and edited by me. But it is produced by the patrons of the show, and I am so very thankful for those people there. I do have a goal still. I'd like to try to get somewhere close to 100 patrons at that level. It it should make things a little bit easier, and I may actually be able to pay someone to come on and help me do some of the things that I do, which will just allow the show to do new and more things. So if you've been on the fence and you feel like, yeah, I could get behind this for a couple bucks a month. Um, that's literally all that I'm talking about. Consider that. You'll find links to that in the show notes as well as at the website. I do love it when you give me feedback. So rate and review the show. I do read those and email me as well. And as always, if you're unable to financially support the show, that's totally fine. Just you know, share it with a friend. Put it on social media. You can find all of the links to everything in the show notes. I hope that you are having an amazing month so far. We'll talk soon. Be blessed. My-